Well, we're going to go directly into chapter 10, and the only thing that I'm going to refresh this on is, is the, the heart of Paul. Because even though Paul was called to the Gentiles, his heart cried for his own people because he knew they had been told the truth. He knew they knew the truth, but they weren't paying attention. They weren't coming into the revelation of what he had been called to preach. And so you'll pick that up as we go through chapter 10. You will um, find that we've repeated it in 8 and in 9, and now we're going to repeat it again in 10 about his heart's desire for the Jewish people. Because at one time, you remember, he was one of them with all of their rules and all of their laws and all of their traditions. And, and uh, so he knows where they're coming from. And that's one of the reasons that his heart is so crying out for his people. So let's start with Romans 10, and I'm going to read the first four verses. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation and them there in that sentence are his people. For I test about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now I'm gonna emphasize chapter or verse 4 because Christ is truly the end of the law and when we uh, start going to church if we are not in a church that teaches grace we're going to be in a church that teaches law and so if we have been taught law that law's whole purpose is to lead us <coughs> to Christ and so when Paul is teaching this, he makes that point that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness so that people begin right off the bat to recognize that it is not going to bring righteousness through the law, but it's going to bring righteousness through faith. And he repeats it over and over again. Now, you've heard me say this, and I'm going to say it again this morning. Anytime we see something repeated many, many times in the Bible, then God's saying, pay attention. <laughs> and a lot of times we just skim over it. And <clears throat> I don't know how many times we've talked about this just in these nine chapters. And now we're going to go into 10 and we're going to talk about it again. About the, the law and the grace, the law and faith and how they oppose each other. And how um, when Jesus came on the scene, we all know he upset the religious system because he came to expose them for what they really were and of course that exposure was their uh, their do's their don'ts their laws their standards all of the things that they actually worshiped and the bible really uses that a lot of the commentaries even use the word they worshiped their traditions they worshiped the law and that's the reason they keep leaving Jesus out of the whole equation. So anyway, uh, all of the Old Testament prophecies, they practiced the law, and it was only a tutor or a schoolmaster, because Jesus is always going to be on the end of that. Lead, so those are always to lead them to Christ. So in Galatians 3, 
23 through 25. This is what Paul's reference was when he read this. Before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Now, that does not mean the law is totally gone. So I think we need sometimes to uh, explain what Paul is really trying to say there. We are dead to the law. And the reason that the, the Bible says that is that we are dead to the law as far as the law making us righteous. We're not dead to the law as a guidance to live our lives by. Because the people who are grace people, sometimes they get into um, what I want to call almost sloppy grace. Excuse my phone. There. Turn that off. Turn that off. Uh, it's kind of like sloppy grace. And, and uh, we can't teach too much grace. That is true. But we can exclude what the law truly is and leave it completely out of the picture. We don't want to do that. Because what guideline do we have? The law's written on our heart is what the Bible says. And if the law's written on our heart, this is where our conscience can be activated so that we have that tendency to know, wait a minute, this isn't right or this doesn't feel right. But it is not doing anything to make us righteous. And that's what Paul's trying to get across. But in here he says, you would think that, they, you know, they, you would think that because of all of the uh, uh, things that God gave the Israelites, that they would have anticipated and expected their Messiah. Because everything pointed to him. Everything they did in their rituals, the temple was created to point to Christ. Their sacrifices all pointed to the sacrificial lamb. Everything in their lives pointed to Christ. And yet, he was still the stumbling stone. He was still the one they kept tripping over. And he came, and they didn't even accept him. So, um, um, here God prepared himself this nation through which Jesus was going to come, and the, and, the, and the Israelites knew all about it. But in John 1, 11 through 13, it says, He came to that which was his own, meaning Jesus, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So there was only a fruitful remnant of the Israelites that actually truly believed in their Messiah. Like, uh, I think Simeon is one of them, and Anna is one of them, and I won't go into those scriptures because it's... It's not necessary. Um, but some of the reasons that, uh, now here, my printer didn't print half the letters on this, so I have to guess. <laughs> Janice, you're going to have to come over and tutor your mother-in-law <laughs> because I'm having issues with my computer. And real quick, I'll tell you, last night, um, I had all of this all together, and I went to save it, 
it wouldn't save. My, my thing wouldn't let me save my message for today. I thought, what am I going to do? If it's not saved, you can't print it off. So I got frustrated. I went through everything I knew what to do with my computer to get my printer going. My printer said it was ready. So I go and I try to print it. It wouldn't let me print it. So as you can imagine, I was getting more and more frustrated. Now, the Bible tells us that as Christians, we're not supposed to get. <laughs> I said, what am I going to do? I'm supposed to have this in the morning and I don't have it all memorized. So I called on my husband, who at one time was so sharp with computers. And now with his condition, it's not quite that way. I ended up having to start from the beginning, and I went all through my whole lesson again, which didn't happen in a short time. I just want to tell you that. So I go to print it off. It would not print. So here I am, knowing time is ticking. <laughs> the computer isn't cooperating. The printer isn't connecting to the computer. <laughs> and I start thinking I want to pull out my hair. And so I finally, I went in and I did all the settings and I did everything that I know to do to connect my printer again. I shut everything down, started from the very, very beginning. Finally, I called my husband because never has it ever asked me to put a pin number in there for my, from my printer to connect it to my computer. So I'd get a pencil and that thing would disappear on my printer, the number. <laughs> if you could have pictured this, it was probably hilarious. But the more frustrated I got, the more angry I got. And the more angry I got at the computer and the printer, I got so frustrated last <clears throat> night that I literally, I could feel my blood pressure rising. Now I'm sure none of you have never been there before. <laughs> But I could. I could feel my blood pressure rising. And I started praying and I said, God, I've got to have these notes for tomorrow because to just shoot off all this stuff that I've looked up and studied to have it up here, it's just not going to happen. So anyway, take this deep breath and I'm praying silently and I go back and I start all over from the very beginning in my computer to connect to my printer and I said Dick will you please get the magnifying glass and at least read that number before it disappears off of my printer <laughs> because I'd grab a, a three by five card get a pencil I'd go over there I couldn't read it so it'd disappear before I could get this number down on this card <laughs> so he reads the number to me and it was different than the one before I thought oh it must be different is it different every time I well, that was very frustrating because I think twice I entered the same number not knowing that. <clears throat> because you have to remember, I am not computer savvy, <laughs> Janice can tell you. And here all this was ready and I thought, devil, I began warfare. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're right. <laughs> Why didn't I catch on before? Why didn't I realize? 
And I began to tell him he had to leave and to get out of there and that I was going to be able to have that peace of the Lord and that, that God was going to be faithful. And I started all this. So I go back to my computer and Dick's sitting over at the printer. And I said, okay, Dick, can you please read me the number that comes up on this printer? And you have to read it fast before it disappears. So he has the magnifying glass and he reads the number and I get it on the three by five card. I enter it. Bingo! <laughs> it connected and I was able to print this off. Now I still have some issues, but it printed off, except that it left out half the, half the letters. So I'm guessing on that. <laughs> Yeah, but we prayed about that stuff last night, too, and where did we all the stuff with the church and you and all Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, well, you know what? The, the enemy really does want to snare us. He wants to get us off track. He wants to get us <sighs> angry or whatever. And I'll tell you what, sometimes our trials are just, I have to laugh because I look at it and I think, God, you knew this all along. What was you, was you laughing at me through that whole thing? <laughs> it was crazy. So anyway, to make that long story short, yeah. So anyway, we'll get back to our lesson. So anyway, there were a lot of reasons why um, Israel rejected their Messiah. And, and Paul goes into this. So in verse 1, the one that we just read, first off, they did not believe that they needed salvation. And the reason they didn't is because they were God's chosen. They had the law. They had all their traditions. They knew that they were special. So they didn't realize that they needed salvation. But they thought Gentiles did. They thought all the Gentiles had to go and, and they had to get saved, but not them. And so um, it, it's just strange how uh, their mindset was kind of like some people are today who think they've got it all together or think, yeah, that's all right, I'm, I'm good enough, or they think they can be good enough. So anyway, Jesus then uses a couple of examples uh, uh, to show how the self-righteous are not going to be the ones that are going to be the saved ones. So one of them has to do with the prodigal son the elder brother, and we've, we know that story, how the uh, younger brother, he wants his inheritance, so he goes to his father, and his father gives him all that he had coming to him, so he goes off and squanders it all, and then after he squanders it all, uh, he's wondering, what am I going to eat? How am I going to live? And he's working on this pig farm, and he's out feeding the swine, and and he says, gosh, I'd have it better if I was at home just being one of the hired hands for my father. And so he goes back to his father's house. And that's found in Luke 15, if you want to look it up. And he finally says, I've sinned against heaven and against you when he comes back to him. Or that's what his thoughts are. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he went to his father. But his father saw him. And he was thrilled at him, and he was taken with compassion. And so he goes and he greets the son, and the elder son is getting tiffed. <laughs> he 
He says, I've been with you all of these years and I have served you and I've done all these good things and you've never done any of that for me. Well, the father tells him, yes, but you have had it all along. So even the Israelites in their situation, they had it all along, but they didn't realize what they had. And so we get into this a little later, but in, when Moses interjects his story, then you realize that God set it up so that the Israelites would become very envious and very jealous of the Gentiles when they got engrafted in. And he did that on purpose to win them in to the fold. And so I thought, God, you're so clever how you do some of the things that you do. Who would think of all of those things? So anyway, uh, the, the elder brother gets angry <clears throat> and uh, he never does go back. He goes, he gets mad. He doesn't go back to his father. Another example was that of the Pharisee. And you're familiar with this story. It's in Luke 18. 9 through 14, and it's uh, Jesus talking about those who are confident of, confident of their own righteousness, and then they look down at everybody else. And uh, this is what happens when you're under the law. I'm just going to tell you this. When you are raised under the law and you have these standards you live by, then you see everybody else not living up to those standards. And so what do you do? You judge them. And what does the Bible say about judgment? We are not to judge one another. We are absolutely not to judge one another. And yet, how many of us, because of our own standards and our own uh, things that we live by because we think this is what we have to do, we will judge that other person because they don't do that. And so um, God wants us all to learn how to look through His eyes to look through who we are in the spirit, not who we are in the natural. Because who we are in the natural is what causes us to compare ourselves with one another, to compare ourselves. And then whenever we begin to do that, we're either going to put ourselves above someone else or we're going to put ourselves beneath someone else. And neither one of them is right. And we've all done it because it's part of our natural man that Jesus came and he took and that old Adam nature was nailed to the cross, but we forget it and we operate out of that fallen nature so much of the time because we're not recognizing it for what it is. And so when we start, of course, this is something that we're into on the Freedom in Christ series. series. And it's such a powerful series because in that series, we are learning how to totally identify with who we are in the spirit so that we quit identifying with who we are in that fallen nature. And, and that fallen nature, if we don't let God do this work, we will not become fruitful like he wants us to be. So this fruitfulness is a journey, but it's also a choice. And so I know that there are some people and you do too, who have walked with the Lord for years and years and years, and you'll think, aren't they ever going to change? You know, they still seem to be where they were back years and years and years ago. And God says, no, I am a progressive, uh, restoring, renewing God. And that's what he wants to be doing all the time in all of us. And we never arrive until we're on the end. <laughs> 
where we go to be with Jesus. And um, it's a journey. We are all on that progressive journey, and we can't get there overnight. And I know right now, I, I really like what Barry is teaching about, because I think in January, I believe it is, that he's going to get us started on reading through the Bible in one whole year. And I think it's going to get us on one uh, mindset where we're all kind of working together to learn what God's saying and what he means in a lot of areas. And we can, we can then all learn together. We can all uh, grasp what God's saying together. And I think it's so important because a lot of us are negligent. And I say a lot of us because I know periods in my life where I've been very negligent about reading God's word or even concentrating on it or, or getting alone and just saying, God, you teach me out of your word because it was always always so overwhelming to me. Now, maybe it isn't to some of you, but the Bible always seemed like it was such an overwhelming book. How do you go through all of this? But you know, after I started going through the Bible, I went, I've gone through it now several times, you're gonna find out that things repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat, and some stories are Many thousands of years later, you're hearing the same story reflected back through another writer. And so there really isn't anything new written in the Bible that I, I, I believe that the most challenging thing in there is when you start reading some of the gory stories about <laughs> some of the things that happened in their battles. And I mean, I can't think of the lady's name that ran that peg through that guy's, that king's head. And I mean, it's gory. Those stories in the Bible, if anybody wants some horrible stories to read, they can get in there and find some terrible stories in the Old Testament. So anyway, but, but they all are relevant. They all point to something and they all, when you take the whole concept of the whole Bible together, you really see a story that is so awesome and you can see God's plan from beginning to end in a way that if you just take only read the New Testament, you're getting all about Jesus and what Jesus did, which is awesome, but then you forget about all of the historical things that point to the coming of him and point to what happened and, and how. I mean, if you see the dates uh, of when these different books were written and how they're told the same story a thousand years later than the first time they're told, you know, it's just like, God, you are so amazing. We have such an amazing God. And someone was telling me the other day that um, they were kind of thinking that maybe there was a Big Bang Theory, that they just didn't think that one, that one God could have created everything that was created. It was a young person. And I said, are they teaching that in school? Well, kind of. So he was in a biology class. And uh, we got to talking, and I, I hope that some of the things that I said made an impact, but you never know. You just never really know if you're making an impact or not. But it's, a, it's amazing how many different thoughts and ideas and opinions and uh, our culture is so full of confusing things. I wouldn't even want to think about being a young person trying to learn 
what is what today? I mean, the, the, the identity is, in, there's so much confusion over identity. There's so much confusion over what is right and what is wrong. There's so much confusion. I mean, there's just confusion everywhere. And so there's only one author of, of order, <laughs> and that's our God. And so but people that choose not to believe him, I think, how do you, how do you look at nature? and not believe that there's a God. Or uh, my, my daughter was on a trip to Utah and she sent me some pictures of her and her husband horseback riding in these mountains. And they were in this one place where it was a narrow, narrow uh, passage. And you couldn't even see the top of the mountain and uh, see a light. But it was like how awesome the creation is. And they got to, they felt like they were in the center of the earth, of course. I remember doing that when we were writing. It was just a, how can anyone look at that and say there's not a God, somebody that created, and our, our human body. I mean, when you ever, have you ever just taken a science book, opened it up, and looked how intricately we are created and how someone could question the reality of a God just it blows my mind. I just, uh, there I am on a tra rabbit trail. I'm sorry, guys. I just do that all the time. So um, what do I want to do? Oh, verse 2 in chapter 10 then, uh, it states how they were zealous for God, but it was not according to knowledge. And uh, Paul starts talking about how he too was zealous for the law and for the traditions of his father. And I, I went into the references and I put them down, and one of them is in Acts 26, 4 through 5, and, and there uh, he's standing before uh, King Agrippa, and the Jews are accusing him because they knew him when he was uh, persecuting Christians, and now here he is uh, preaching to the Gentiles and they are really upset with him for what he's doing. And so in Acts 26, um, he's talking about, uh, he said, the Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They've known me for a long time and can testify if they're willing that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. I too was convinced that I had to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I put so many saints in prison, and when they were, I don't know, put to death, I think, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme his name. In my obsession against them, I believe, I'm sorry, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. And so he's really letting it be known how he was before he became uh, a Christian. And then in Galatians 1, 1, 13 through 15, he says, you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely, no, excuse me, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advanced in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous 
for the traditions of my fathers. And so here we are talking again. He understood totally where these Israelites were, come, were coming from. And that was one of the reasons that his heart was so grieved when he looked out and saw where they were because he remembered where he had been himself. So he was trying to let them know that their good needs and their religiosity and all of their uh, adherence to the law was not going to get them to heaven. <clears throat> so Romans, and that reminded me of Romans 3.20 where it says there, therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in God's sight. So the verse 3 then, another reason said they were proud of their self-righteousness. And they were. Israel was ignorant of God's righteousness, not because they had, not never, had never heard of it, but because they refused to pay heed to what they were told. And they were found to have their own righteousness, their own good works, their religious self-imposed uh, righteousness. And Paul made the mistake, the same mistake before the scales fell off his eyes. And he talked about how if anyone put confidence in the flesh, that he had every reason to. You know, he talks about uh, how good he was and how uh, the fairest of the Pharisees and the greatest of the Judas Judaism and how he had all these reasons why he could brag about it. Uh, but that is not where he is today. And so here again, I'm using these cross-references, but they do help to paint the picture. The next one is in Philippians 3, and it's uh, 2nd through 11. And there he's talking, uh, and he's telling them to watch out for those dogs, watch out for those mutilators of the flesh. And he's talking about watch out for those who are under the law, who are for the circumcision, because he says, I'm of the circumcision. He goes on to say, for we who are of the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. A lot of, lot of letters missing there. I think I got it right. So he says, if anyone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Then he says, circumcised on the eighth day uh, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, Pharisee, uh, as to zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider it loss for the sake of Christ. And then he goes on to say, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, and I consider them rubbish. And you guys know that, so I'm not going to go ahead and read it. But I think that it's something to take time to note is... Uh, <clears throat> When we uh, are able to maintain our Christianity and we think we're doing a pretty good job and we start putting our confidence in the flesh, have you noticed how easy it is to stay there? 
things are going good, you're doing good, I think I'm okay. And then the first thing you know, they think, they start getting elevated. Have you ever noticed? I'm doing fine, nothing wrong with me, yeah. Huh. How much of the time do we put confidence in our own flesh? And it really does bother God when we do that because he's given us grace. Our sufficiency is of him. He is everything that we need. He is our joy. He is our strength. He is uh, he's the grace to do all that I need to go. He's my motivation. And so much of the time when you have confidence in your own flesh, you've got to depend on your own flesh to make you get going. So let's take that same scenario and let's just say you can't keep up with it, but you're still putting confidence in your own flesh. Where does that put all of us then when we do that? It'll put us in a state of depression or oppression where we're upset with us, we're upset with the world because ah, I can't do this, I can't keep up with this, what's the matter with me? And we start doing this self-talk that is so negative. And that's just as bad as the pride is. And so this is why it is so important that we identify with who we are in the spirit and not identify with who we are in the natural. Because our natural man wants to rise up, our natural man wants to di dictate to us who we are. And so we fall back into that trap of trying to operate out of our, our natural man instead of receiving this grace from God all the time. I had to stop last night and realize what was happening to me. I was getting so much in the flesh, it wasn't even funny. All this frustration, all this anxiety, all this stuff that was happening to me, I was reacting totally out of my fleshly nature. <laughs> now I look at it and I laugh. Oh, foolish man that I was. <laughs> Because when I stopped and I did what I was supposed to do, the peace of God came in. Everything fell together. I was able to do what I needed to do. And I'm thinking, I wasted two and a half hours just being foolish. <laughs> Deb, have you learned yet? <laughs> I asked her if she was seven, if she'd arrived yet. She said no. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I still haven't arrived. <laughs> and why, why is it that we say that? It's because at any given time, we can step into that, out of the spirit realm, into that fleshly nature. And it can happen just like that. And the enemy is so waiting to set up a trigger. Have you ever noticed he likes to set up triggers? If he can trigger something in us to get us to respond out of our flesh, then he is excited to do that because he starts, we end up in doing this kind of a downward spiral. I ought to have you give your testimony. <laughs> that happened to Janice the other day, but I won't put her on the spot. But when that happens, we, we end up then mad at us. And so I guess I'm making a long story to say this, and you're gonna hear me say it a lot. 
we got to get me out of the picture. We live so much out of the me factor, how I affect everybody else, how everybody else affects me, and oh, woe is me because this person thinks this, or this person thinks that, or oh, I better do this, or they might be offended. And everything is centering around this me. And what does Jesus say to us? He says, if you are not willing to deny yourself and pick up your cross, you're not worthy to follow me. Okay, now this is where the church, this is what God is working on in the church today, is he's got to get us who are living out of the me, out of it, so that we're living out of, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus, and he is everything. He's everything I need. There isn't anything in this natural realm that God cannot provide for me. He says, if your mother and your father let you down, I pick you up. He says, if you are alone, who is it that is our paraclete but the Holy Spirit is that one that sticks closer than any brethren? It is the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And so if we forget our relationship with the Lord and we get into this me syndrome, we forget about that love relationship with God. That's where everything happens. It's, I want to learn to live out of the secret place. I want to learn how to live in that place where I am so seated with him in the heavenly places that my perspective is constantly looking down on the enemy, where I'm constantly got him under my foot, where he does not rise up and gain any ascendancy in my life. And this is what we are learning is, okay, are we going to live that victorious life or are we going to live a, a defeated one? And God says, I've put before you life and death. You make the choice. A lot of times we don't know we have a choice in a situation. I honestly believe that if what happened to me last night had happened to me back several years ago, I'd have stayed in it because I wouldn't have thought about, I'll wait a minute. <laughs> God was getting my attention to get out of that me syndrome back into that place where he is who I'm in. I imagine you could give a testimony big time, Deb, because of your, of your own trials. Do you find this a difficult thing? Sometimes. And, but I could, because I was writing and I could see at times where the enemy sets up triggers to pull me out of that place with God that I've been in, but praise God for the Holy Spirit that says, no, 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 and, you know, getting that focus put back around to the Lord, because it does become all about you, then it can become woe is me so easily, you know, and so we have to um, keep reminding ourselves who we are, mm -hmm. and staying in that place of grace, and who, who is my peace, who is my rock. Mm -hmm. that, you know, mm -hmm. and where am I in that picture? Mm -hmm. and, um, oh yeah, you know that's. I mean, the devil doesn't care if you're what your situation is. He doesn't feel sorry for you. He just, oh, uses that vulnerability to really pull at you to mm -hmm. come into a place and sink into a place of despair, sink into a place into a pit where it's woe is me, all that's me. 
And I have to thank the Lord because I think the first time I did worship back here after a long past, <coughs> I was standing up there singing and I thought, I told the Toma, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. And I kept looking to the back and picturing them, of course, you know, as you would do. And I heard the Lord say to me, do not focus on what you don't have and what you've lost. Focus on who I am and what you have. I mean, clear back then, he told me that. So he knew, already was preparing my heart that this is going to be something that will pull you out of that place you need to stay in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, and one of the things that we also need to re- realize is that the suffering, the trials, the tribulation, they're all very valuable. Now, I know that we don't like to go through them, I know that they are hurtful when we go through them. Uh, but just to live in this world, we're going to have suffering. To live in this world, we're going to have trials. We're going to have tribulation. I don't know anyone that does not have them. And if they say they don't, then there's something wrong. Because those things, it's not, it's not what happens to us, but it's what we do in the midst of those things that God is looking at. Because what is it? We are fighting the good fight of faith. And this is what I need to ask myself when all the things are going wrong. Am I walking in faith? Am I allowing my faith to be robbed? Because that's what, that's what the enemy is after in all of our trials. He's after our faith. If he can grab our faith and get us to get our attention on me and our, my attention on all the bad stuff that's going on around me, that's all he has to do because God loses power in that. Have you ever noticed how much power we start giving the enemy? The more power we give the enemy, the less power we're giving God. And God wants that to be so that he is the all-powerful one. So that in every situation, we're not glorifying what the enemy does. And if we're not careful sometimes, because last night I could have. I was just plain. <laughs> I'll have to tell you about it later. But that was, that was probably one of the worst little trials that I've been in for quite some time where I lost it. I mean, I so totally stepped over into my flesh realm and I could feel my blood pressure rising, my anger coming in there, the frustration, the anxiety, all of those things that are in my natural man beginning to amplify. And that's what got my attention. I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. But it was the Holy Spirit, I'm sure. It made me readjust. Okay, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. This old stuff's passed away. I have him on my side. The enemy, I can step on him. And you know, once I, I said he had to go and I took my rightful place is when things began to smooth out. And I thought, why didn't I do this two hours ago? You know, why I could have saved myself so much agony, despair, and pain. <laughs> so anyway, it's, it's, I'm, I'm emphasizing this because this is where we walk. We have relationships we have to deal with. We have obstacles we have to deal with. We've got time. We've got jobs. We've got, oh, I, could, I can sit here and name innumerable things that we all deal with day in and day out all the time. And we are the only ones that can decide who we are in the midst of it. Because God's given us something to go by. 
And we have to pay attention to go by what he says and not by what the enemy is trying to get us to get off into. And this is part of what in Philippians 3, the last part of that says, um, what, he, what Paul says is, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Uh, long ways from it. So, okay, so what happens if we have somebody that offends us? What do we do? What do we do if somebody offends us? What we us? should do or what we do do? What do we do? Okay, so an offense then is a trigger, right? If someone offends me, it's a trigger. And so what does it trigger when we get offended? It usually is hitting something that doesn't get healed, that hasn't been healed. It could just trigger the old me. You know, the old me and all my fallen stuff. And that's what happened with me last night because I've been through a lot of healing. And I know last night I gave in to my flesh. There's just no question about it. I gave in to it big time. You guys would have said, that's our teacher. That is... <laughs> Do I need to say? <laughs> no, I'd like to know somebody that is. I really would. I mean, other than Jesus, we know he was. But I'd like to know somebody that is. <laughs> I think if they were, they'd be translated and in heaven right now. They would not be here on earth because they wouldn't have any reason to stay here and get any more work done on them, for one thing. So, but... Okay, so an offense, you know, we know what happens with an offense. Uh, so what, what do you do if you find out you've offended somebody else? Ask them to forgive you. Or ask them to forgive If you know that you have offended someone, that's when the Bible says you go to that person and you ask them to forgive you. Because if you're at the altar and you realize, oh, wait a minute, I have offended somebody, and you know that you have offended them, then that's what you do. But we don't always have to do that if someone has offended us, because they may not know they offended us. Mm -hmm. And so if we go to them and try to tell them what we did, we could open up a can of worms. I mean... <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard one, I think, with this, because... So many Christians think it's their job then to tell you yes. that you have offended them because they misunderstand what the scripture uh -huh. says. Uh -huh. Well, and, and then if you don't remember what it was, it can start causing you to think, oh my gosh. And if you don't handle it right, you could pick up an offense. And so, <laughs> ah. Well, doesn't the word say forgive so that you are forgiven? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's what we're supposed to so do. We're supposed to forgive according to the word. I have a question. Uh-huh. It does say that in the word. But what if somebody has been hurt so bad that they can't forgive right away? You know, they're not at that place. Mm-hmm. 
if they're not in that place, you can't make them be in that place. That's where, that's where the Bible says, know the truth and the truth makes you free. Because if they, if they are unable to do that, there's a part of them that is not operating in the truth of God's word. And that's why it's so important that we know God's word, that we can, that we take it, take it in and apply it to our own lives. Isn't so that when we just basically say, "Okay, God, I can't do anymore, and there's nothing I can do about the situation," and just place it in His hands and say that Your will be done? Mm-hmm. You can do that. Just make sure that you look at. This is where examination is. Okay, what I did? Did I do that through? the eyes of faith, because if you're doing something through the eyes of faith, then you're going to do it through the eyes of God's love. And that's what he wants us to do with everything. Now, I can, I can oppose someone in love. Let's just say that somebody really does need to hear the truth. Now, I think this is a hard one. You're the pastor. How do you deal with that? Oh, that means that we've been a... Exactly. Mm-hmm. Being, you know, the church is the biggest instigator of hurting other people. You know, Christians hurt other Christians. You know, so we are terrible people sometimes. You know, <laughs> but 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 you know, we're not perfect. But you know, it's you know, we all have to realize. You know what? If do I want that extended to me? Mm-hmm. In love. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then I need to give that to other people. Mm-hmm. See, I just, right. And I know right now I have a situation that I am praying on, like you said, I'm praying on it, because I do know that there is going to have to be a confrontation. The Bible in Proverbs, I'm trying to think of words that, uh, we are to care enough to confront. That means to confront in love always. But sometimes someone needs to see a truth if they are walking in error. And sometimes if you're in leadership especially, you need to know how to do that in a way. And see, I'm going to tell you, I'm chicken. <laughs> you're, going to hear, you're going to hear all my weak points. Um, I, I can't just come out and just 
like say, say Anne said something and it kind of hurt my feelings and she needs to be told about it. Maybe, I mean, a lot of times you just let things go. Because she, maybe she's repeated it over and over again and I'm thinking, she needs to know that that's offensive. So I'll pray and I'll pray because, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 comes in there too where you hardly even notice when somebody else does something wrong. But <laughs> anyway, then it comes to the point where you know God is saying, uh, she does need to be confronted on that. So one of the things that I've learned is that you don't come right up and start the accusation. In other words, do you know that you hurt me? <laughs> and you said offensive words to me? That's, guess what's going to happen to her if I do that? Her defenses are going to go up, and I've already lost having the ability to say anything to her. Exactly. And so we need to learn how to confront in love. And usually you can do it in such a way that, you know, I know I probably should not have taken this wrong, but this was what was said to me and this is how I felt about it. And then begin to approach it from the aspect that you could be in the wrong too or whatever. Um, when it comes to sin, blatant sin, sometimes there's no way to sugarcoat it. You got to come right out and just say, you know, I'm sure that you wouldn't mean to do this on purpose, but uh, this is what the word says. If you if you just tell somebody what the word says, let the word do the judging. Let the word be the thing that that you speak to them, because otherwise they're going to take it as though you are doing it. Okay, what I was going for another direction is like I offended somebody, and I go to them. But they get more upset because it brings back the hurt, even though I say, I want you to forgive me, you know. Mm -hmm. So do you know when not to go and to go? That's why the praying time is so important, because if you keep that bathed in prayer, you'll have an unction. I use the word unction quite a bit. You'll have an unction from the Holy Spirit, whether or not to stay away or to proceed, because if they're not ready to hear something, what good is it going to do to actually say it? Sometimes I've, I've had to be in a situation where I have, but a lot of times if they're not ready to hear something, they're just not going to receive it. It's just not going to be received at all. So There's been a couple times where you know, I'm praying on something, and next thing I know, I'm getting a text or, or someone's coming and saying, man, I've got to apologize. So I didn't even have to do the work because God had already started, you know, because that's what's so effective about the prayer. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, God, you know, you've got to deal with the hearts here, deal with my heart, deal with their heart. And most of the time, I don't have to do nothing. Because God's already done the work, and you know they're the ones that have come and said, "Man, I, I just blew it. I blew this whole thing up, and I'm sorry, and you know that was my fault." And it's like, oh, praise God, you know, it's you know you're forgiven, you're you know there's no offense, you know, so. Yeah, and, the, and that prayer part really is uh, probably the most essential because I know Deb and I can, 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 she may not stop to think about who I'm talking about, but we had somebody that was interested in going into the healing rooms. They came, they did, they started to go through the training and they were ready, they wanted to go downstairs. And I don't remember now what happened, but uh, they didn't show up for quite a little while. 
And then out of the blue, they showed up, and we didn't know they were going to show up. And so something was said. But in the meantime, she and I were both praying because we did not feel this person was supposed to be involved. We didn't feel like they were ready. We didn't feel like they were on the same page. There were a lot of different issues, and we were thinking, okay, how are we going to deal with this? Because we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. We don't want to push anyone away. And as it was, that person, they just totally dropped out. We didn't, we didn't have to do a thing because God did it. And so um, evidently this is something that is important for us to talk about because I really feel an unction on it. Yeah. Um, I think I shared this here before um, with my sister. I, uh, I said something to her that offended her very bad. And I had no business to say it to her, but I did. And, and so then she writes me a letter telling me that I'm no longer her sister, that she wished I was dead. It got really bad. And immediately when I read the letter, I knew it was God. He said, reject it, don't even accept it. And I threw that letter in the garbage, and I said, that's not my sister. She would never do that. And I kept praying about the situation, and I said, God, you are the God of restoration. You, you will do what you have to do inside of her and inside of me. Mm-hmm. But the Lord told me, you will write her a letter and you'll apologize. And I did that, but I wrote it to her husband because I knew she wouldn't read it. So he read the letter, and then he said to his his wife, he said, you need to read this letter. And she goes, I don't want to read it. And he said, but you need to read it. And so she did, and and I was very, you know, I was repentant of that. I I expressed that I, I had no business to voice what I did to her, and so then the Lord had spoken that to me after that happened. He said, I believe it was three months. He said, within three months, she will drive up in your driveway and she will apologize and she will accept you. And I was outside pulling weeds and all of a sudden I saw her car and it pulled into my driveway. And she came walking toward me with her arms out to me. And she said, Geraldine, I'm so sorry. I said, it never happened. It didn't happen. It's gone. It's I, it, that God threw that thing into the sea of the forgetfulness. And I said, we're not going to bring it up anymore. And, I, and we embraced one another. And we were so close after that. But the Holy Spirit, see, what, when he told me, don't accept that. Don't accept the offense. You know, don't do not do that. Don't get involved in it. Because I was always taught if you re- rehearse it and nurse it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, rehearse it and nurse it. Too t- <laughs> it'll stay there. And that's, that's what um, the enemy does. He wants you to continually think about that and, and rehearse that over and over in your mind. Oops. And if you do that, you're not going to receive the victory within it. And so you just pray, you give it to God, and you say, God, you do the work that's necessary. I can't fix it. You know, there's a song that says, do what 
go and do what you can do, but let no man can do it. There's a, there's a song that says that. I'll, I'll get it later for you. <laughs> but but it, that's what it said. And that's what I believed. I said, God, that's my sister. I'm not going to let that happen between the two of us. I will do my part, and then you work on the other end. Mm-hmm. And he mm-hmm. did. See, and this is, um, I know I'm, I'll probably be teaching on it again. I started uh, a few weeks ago on the boundary teaching here on Sunday, and uh, I had a lot of comments afterwards uh, for people said that they were interested in learning more about it. But um, this is an area where we need to really know the emotional boundaries or the boundaries of the soul because we have to allow people to be where they're at we have to allow people to be who they are. A lot of times it's not something we want them to be and it can be offensive to us, but we still have to allow them to be who they are. And that's why this ownership, or I call it stewardship, because when you get into the boundaries, like uh, what God's begun to show that to me is I'm to be a stewardship over my thoughts, my opinions, my uh, anything that has to do with me that's in my knapsack. I'm to be the steward over that. That means I'm the one that's responsible for that behavior, not the other person. No matter what they say, no matter what they do, they could trigger all kinds of things. But it is my choice how I react back. Because so many times someone will say, well, you made me so angry. No, we're putting the blame on the other person for something that we are responsible for ourselves. Anger, our emotions, are one of the things that we are totally responsible for. So for me to point the finger at you and say, you made me do that, I'm taking that responsibility off of me and putting it on you, saying, well, if you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have been mad. So many times people do not want to take responsibility for their emotions. And this, where God is saying, we don't overreach, step over into someone else's territory, even in their emotions, where we are going to cause them issues, or that's why we make them own theirs, so they're not going to cross over and cause me to have any issues. And this is something that I'm maneuvering in some very strange waters right now. And um, my husband has dementia. And he's not the same man that I married. I'm having to learn how to walk in this area where he's different than he was before. And I'm telling you, I never knew there were so many triggers. Just saying. I have the beginnings of Alzheimer's, and I'm forgetful. And I have issues with my husband because he doesn't understand. There's times when I don't, I don't remember. And he gets angry. And I, I try to tell him, I can't help it. I'm trying to remember. And you have to forgive to be forgiven. So I have to forgive him that he's not remembering what's going on with me, you know. Mm-hmm. And I refuse it. I told the enemy, uh-uh, I have the mind of Christ. The Bible says, I have the mind of Christ. If mm-hmm. you are not stealing my mind. Mm-hmm. And I let him know that. But my husband and I hadn't had issues, and he's starting to understand 
you know, he's starting to show grace towards me. Praise God, that's you wonderful. But that's how, that, but you're handling it the right way. And so in doing it that way, then it's starting to bring peace in the situation. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've got a lot to learn here in, yeah. in where I'm at. And I wish I could say that I'm passing all of my little trials, but I'm not, so. Let's face it, I mean, I'm not going to say God can't turn it around, he can, but chances are as you get older, I mean, memory doesn't, as you get older, you don't have the memory you used to have when you were... Oh, I think our computers get old, too full. But, but still, um, you just have God to just say, just help me to understand and guide me in a way that I need to go to handle the situation, because I'm all in. I mean, I went through it with my mom, and she lived to be almost, what, 101? And it's very hard. Um, and you sit there, and, you, and I would always look at her, and I'd get upset with her, and I have to be honest. I mean, I even hit her at times, and then afterwards I'd say, oh my God, I should have never done that. She, she doesn't know what she's doing or what she's saying. But you get so frustrated because they keep saying over and over mm -hmm. and over. Mm -hmm. And finally, I said, Lord, I said, you have to do something in me mm -hmm. um, because I can't handle the situation. Mm -hmm. And finally, he let me see, you know, you're just going to have to learn to step back and let her. Let her be let, who let she her is. be who she is because she can't be any different and mm -hmm. she's not going to be. And like I said, she, he, she was 101 when she passed away and she really, she was almost... And that you have to look at it from the point of view when they get to a point there you look at them as a, your child you can't look at them as your mother your father your husband your wife or whatever because the they're receding back into their childhood basically is what they're doing mm -hmm. because they're, they're they're not they don't have they're losing their memory mm -hmm. yeah one of the things i've, I've shared this with janice because she kind of knows more than a lot of a lot of other people do but I, I feel like because my husband's losing control in a lot of areas, he's reaching out and depending upon me in so many areas that he didn't before. So he's kind of like a little puppy dog, kind of following me around all, all the time in the, in the house. And I like to be private. I like to get ready to go places privately. He'll be parked at the door and it's like, he's got all these things he wants me to tend to or to do. And I've had to refigure my schedule and refigure how I'm responding to him because my first response was, I'm getting ready. I want privacy. Will you just get out of here? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's like, all right, now, I want him to be treated with dignity. I mean, he needs to be treated with dignity. And so... I have to learn to be a different person than I have been to him, or else it's going to cause some problems. And so uh, I was thinking the very next thing that I have down here is, uh, you know, after Paul said that he wanted to fellowship with the sufferings of Jesus. Well, guess what? Hebrews 5, 8 through 9 says, Jesus, though he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And I've often wondered just exactly how much he must have suffered at times when maybe he wanted to do his own thing, but he was 
always about the father's business and always responding according to the way God wanted him to respond. That's part of what that suffering is all about is where our will and God's will cross. That's the cross I think God says we have to bear, bear is that cross where our will crosses his will and whose will is going to win. What, what I feel like you was learning in that is the same thing I was talking about a little while ago. We ought to take the, quote, me out of all of the equations. It isn't about me. It's about, okay, God, I want to please you. I want to please, I want to be, I want to be your handmaiden. And if I'm going to be God's handmaiden, I can't be doing my own thing all the time. I can't, I can't just keep reacting out of that old nature. And so this is where I feel like we can even make it a prayer that we say to God, God, you do in me that work that's necessary. I surrender to you because he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He who began that good work in us is going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Well, you need to treat them the way you want to be treated because who's to say I mean God's in control of our lives and our mind mm -hmm. and everything else and we can give it to him and not but that may not happen to us but say it would you want to treat them the way you would if that happens to you the mm -hmm. way you want to be treated mm -hmm. that's true and that's the hardest thing in the world yeah. to do because you don't think of yourself as being that way but right it's a possibility <laughs> You know, yeah, I, I I understand what you're saying because my husband wants to help me, and I have pride, you know. Oh, it's, but that's I'm the like, hardest thing. I get angry yeah. at him, and then I think he's just trying to help me. Yeah, you know, like he don't want me going off driving by myself because that's how I found out because I got lost on a road I didn't even know. I always traveled, and I was totally lost. And uh, he said, "You're not to go alone." And he takes my grandson Justin lives with me, and he. She, he goes, Justin, you go with Grandma when she wants to go to the store and stuff, or he goes with me. So, you know, i got to get rid of my pride. I know I'm proudful, you know, and saying, I can do this myself, when really, I can't, you know. Well, and that's a good or thing, because to, a lot of me. us, a lot of us have learned how to, re have not learned how to receive from others. I have to humble myself to mm -hmm. help me. That's because part of that. That's part of that. Uh, putting the confidence in your own flesh, yeah. you know, we're not to have confidence in our own flesh. Our confidence is His confidence in yeah. us, and Call so. Down on it. He says, "Let them help you." He spoke <laughs> to me. He said, "You let them help you." He's right. Listen to your husband. I'm like, oh, I guess. you know, it's it's kind of funny because when when Kim and her kids were living at our house. 
Bailey decided to to clean my bathroom for me. So I'm talking about what you were just talking about. So I don't know why I did this, but she kind of rearranged things on my bathroom counter. Well, the first thing I knew, I had gone in there and I had arranged things and put them back <laughs> the way I wanted to do them. And afterwards, she says, well, it doesn't make any difference. You can go clean Grandma's house, but she's still going to put stuff where she wants. <laughs> and I thought, uh-oh, because that was telling a story on me, of me wanting it. So I'll tell you what, if, if someone comes and helps me now with my house, it stays the way they do it because it is a pride thing. It, it, what difference does it make? What difference does it make? Well, we're, set, oh, set. we're so set in our ways that it's hard for us to lay them down. Even, uh -huh. It's okay, say even with a husband and wife. And as you get older and stuff, and like Greg, you know, he helps me with a lot. Or I even sometimes I'm getting to the point I ask him for help, yeah. which I would have never in, in before. Oh, I, I mean, remember you from before. There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's no way nobody, no, nobody ever helped me with anything. Yeah. I mean, it was me. I mean, I did everything. I, I whether and I would even if it was something I really had no business doing or I didn't think I could do, I'd figure out a way to do it yeah, and get it done. I know. And now it's like. I'm realizing, you know, well, the pride. It's the pride, it's pride. Yeah. and you don't want to give up your independence. No, you don't. And, and that's what I, a lot of it is, too, independence. Yeah. It is. I, I remind myself, though, I tell the devil, I speak, I say, I have the mind of Christ, and you are not robbing me of my memories. Mm -hmm. I remind him of that. I have the mind of Christ. So you think you're going to rob me of my memories? I don't think so. You well, know. right now the enemy is coming against me. It was a situation, and I'm fighting it really bad. In fact, I did drive myself today, but he's bringing real bad busy spells on me right now. Oh. And I'm on medications and stuff for it, and it's helping. Is, that, is the medication giving you any side effects, or do you know? Well, really, I don't really see that it's really doing much of anything oh. other, other than, okay, well, no, my feet are starting to swell up, and I'm taking water pills and stuff, it, it, you know, but it's like, okay, I'm, it's like I'm not giving into it. Like, Greg kind of has to, I mean, I can't, I can't have him drive me here and sit here for a couple hours waiting for me. I, I mean, he could be out there doing something, you know, mm -hmm. but I mean, he's got other things he needs to do. So I looked at him this morning and I said, I'm going now to, I told him last night, I'm going tomorrow. And he says, you're going to be all right. And I said, yeah, I'm going to be fine. And here you are. So <laughs> and I'm not saying I'm not a little bit dizzy, but it's not to the point where I can't function. Yeah, that's Now good. you might see me walk a little slower. I might stop in the middle and hold onto a chair for a minute to keep my head from spinning. <laughs> but you know, it's what we put our mind to, too, is not about... <clears throat> You know, if I give in to this, I mean, he could get me to the point where I just sit home and go nowhere and do nothing, you know, yeah, right. um, because I wouldn't want people to see me have to hold on to a chair. Like Greg told me today, he says, you want to take the walker? I says, no, I'm not that far gone yet. Yeah, and you know, we were talking about, we were talking about pride a few minutes ago. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there is a spirit of Leviathan, and that's in uh, the Bible. And I think it's overall of the people who have not received the Lord yet. Okay. Uh, and it might be over, situation. but it might be over some people that have received the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still kind of proud of that. But it's, you know, it, it is really, 
a very powerful thing because that's what all of us in our former years, we had to deal with the pride. And a lot of people say, oh, I don't have any pride. But pride is really an ugly thing. And usually, it, it, it even works in an opposite uh, spectrum. In other words, a lot of times, somebody who thinks that they are totally worthless and totally rejected and totally in a bad place, there's still pride behind that because in their mind's eye, they want to see themselves in a great place and they're not. And so the enemy's lying to them and it still is all about them because when that's what the spirit of pride is. Everything is about you. Me, 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 me. <laughs> and that's what Leviathan is all about. And it takes the hook of God to yank that head of that Leviathan around and to begin to get tear down all those scales and scales and scales of pride that we all walk in. Because there's a lot of them, so, yeah. But some of them we don't even realize they're there. I mean, they, they happened so many years ago that you buried them so deep and stuff that you don't even know that they're there. Well, we don't know, and in our fallen, yeah, in our fallen nature, we don't realize that that's what we're we're operating out of. It just does, we just don't realize it. But here again, we can't kill ourselves, and so. <laughs> so this fall, this fall scales fall off all at once when he's blinded, or does he do his journey with God? Does the pride come down? I believe it when when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus that those scales, the Bible says that the scales fell off his eyes, that he beheld Jesus as he truly was. There was a true revelation of Jesus. But it also says that he went for, how long was it? He was, it was quite some time that he went through the learning process of a lot of things too. So I'm not sure that it all happened all at yeah, once. So I, I, a point there where, okay, he opens up our eyes and we see him and we know him and he's mm -hmm, with us mm -hmm. but still it's up to us he wants us to lay the things down but it's up to us to surrender him oh and yeah oh yeah him, mm -hmm. and that's what paul did Function. though See, Paul did. When, when Paul then was, was uh, he went and he was prayed for, but that was when his eyes were opened again and he was able to literally see. But then he, got, he went through a training. I think, how wonderful would it be to go and be trained by Jesus? I mean, oh my goodness, I can't, yeah. But you have to remember he also was primed and prepared even in his pharisee life because he had adhered to the law so perfectly and he did everything he was supposed to do then in such a dynamic way i really know i mean i feel like in, i know in my spirit that that's the very reason he was called to teach to the print the, the gentiles because he was a perfect example of how someone who was that righteous could not make it into heaven. Yeah, you got something going on with you? Oh, okay. <laughs> I just thought maybe you had something to add, and I, if you do, I want you to add, you know, add to it. So, yeah. So, so how did you handle that deal the other day? Did did you? Um, um, usually, I think we all know when we when something will start to affect us. Because again, you'll get anger or you'll get frustration. There will always be something. And something hit me and just, I was like, 
it was immediately when I felt it coming on, I, I just said, okay, stop. I got stopped and I went for a walk around the lagoon. That's the first time I've done it. I'm like, all right, I got to get away with Jesus. I got to, I got to have a conversation. And so I just went walking and walking around the lagoon. I probably walked around it uh, four or five times, but just with the Lord. And I, I said, okay, God, I got to release this to you. I'm not going to carry it. Um, I'm just going to, um, cause I, I'm, I'm not one that needs to carry it because there's a lot, <laughs> you know? And so I, I just said, I'm not going to carry this and I'm not going to let this affect me. And, um, and so it was like, and after that it was like, okay, you know, and, and I said, God, it's yours. I'm, I'm not going to carry it. It's not meant for me to carry. And I said, God, um, I said, help my attitude. I, I want, I want it to be full of love. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't want to be, have an offense. And so immediately it was like, and God took it, and it was like I was, I was, I was happier, I was better, I, because I. You felt the peace there. come back in. Such a peace, and it's like, and it, it didn't affect me after that because, but it immediately, that's the one thing I know when it starts to come on, it's like I just stop what I'm doing, and it's like okay, I gotta get, I gotta get, God, you and I have to have a conversation because He's got to deal with Janice because <laughs> Janice is one to get upset. And so, and, and, you know, and so I think that's what we need to start doing is just say, okay, God, you know, again, less of me, because usually we, we, we take this on and it's all about us. And it's like, no, you know, it's all about me taking those things to God and saying, okay, this, this has come at me, but I'm not going to let it affect me. I'm not going to let the enemy have place in my life to bring me down and discourage or to be angry or, you know. Bible says to be angry and sin not, but many times we just sin. We sin, <laughs> you know. Right? And, and well. so, so I think it's important that we just recognize, you know, because you know when a feeling is coming up. Yeah. Just recognize, okay, you mm -hmm. know what, the enemy's going to try and use this. So what are you going to do? I ain't going to let him have place or anything in my mm -hmm. life. God, I, I need to take this to you. And so he will do that. But so many times we're we're not listening to the right person. We don't care. We're like, well, I I deserve to feel this way. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, you but don't. that's called guarding your heart. <laughs> yeah. So we we all need to know how to guard our our heart because out of our heart flows yeah. all the issues of life, all of the things that pertain to life, they go, they come right out of here. And that's what God's always looking at. And so if you have an attitude, or if you're angry, or if you've taken up an offense, or you know you're not right. And see, I knew last night I wasn't right, but it was building up. It just kept building up and building up. And so I should have taken care of that long before, but you know, it's been a long time. And I'm not saying this to say anything bragging, but it has been a long time since I've been in that state of mind where I was just, oh, the frustration and the anger. And I wanted to take the computer and I wanted to take that printer and throw them somewhere. And I, I haven't even been that angry. I can't even remember being that angry, but everything was just up at the surface. And uh, then I realized, no, I had to take, I had to take control of my heart, guard my heart, 
because if I had stayed in that place, I'd have lost all my peace. And that's what we have to make sure that we don't allow that to happen. We're going to be in relationships, guys. And the church is one big family. And the church is a place where we all are in relationship with one another. And I mean, I think of my church family as being every bit as close as my immediate family. I mean, I love the people in this, in this body. And I wouldn't want anything to cause a barrier between me or anyone in this, in this whole place. And so, yeah, we guard our heart. So well, I'm not going to go on with it. that with our spouses or whatever. Everyone, because, yeah. yeah. I talk to you about it with Greg and stuff, I get so agitated and irritated with him, and I really get mad at him at times. And then I always have to apologize because I can rant and rave and carry on and scream and holler at him and everything, and he just sits there like I'm talking <laughs> to a brick wall. And I don't want him to do it to get mad. <laughs> you want him to engage. You want him to engage, and he won't do it. And he won't. Now, lately, he has a couple times, and that's okay. But then I always have to go back later on, and I think, why did I do that to him? That wasn't, you know. And then you have to apologize because it's you. It's not him. I mean, yeah. he's doing what he wants. He, he should do. He's not reacting to a situation. Yeah. Well, one thing, one thing for sure, we know that God's going to do the work if we just surrender. And That's so, right. yeah. yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I decided to go to church. I told Mark, I'm going to church. I'm, I'll see you later. I figure, by example, maybe that I'm trusting God that he'll bring him back. But that's up to his decision, too. You know, I can't force him. And I know God is in control, so you just do what you do, and you have to use grace. God oh, yeah. says grace. Grace him. <laughs> really? God, that's really hard. You're talking yeah, to you had a You had a question. <laughs> has a temper, you know? Exactly. Okay, I'll grace him if you want me to. <laughs> but I love him. I mean, we've been married quite a while, and we've been through a lot, and... Uh, He's trying very hard to understand where I'm at, and I gotta give him credit for that. That's good. That's that's really it. good. Mm -hmm. So, Anne, you had a question. What is spirit of Leviathan? Leviathan. Of Leviathan. Is that uh, pride? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's it's pride overall. It's it's a it's actually a spirit that's over the people. That are full of pride. That's what it is. It's basically, called Leviathan. We, we function basically as human beings. Yeah. We're functioning in pride. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly if you're not saved or whatever, you, you, you function in pride. Because right. You want everything your way, and not nobody else. That's that's what it pretty much. Uh, another word for it is narcissism. If you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> a similar, a similar word. Narcissism. Everything's about me. Everything's about what I can do and accomplish. Right. Pride, so yeah. Um, I'm not going to finish the rest of this. I, I want to stop. I have to be at the doctor's office at one o'clock, so I'm going to close in. I want to close in prayer, okay? Father, we just praise you and thank you for your word that divides between spirit, soul, and body. And God, we do give you the permission to do that division in us where we can see 
our different parts and choose which one we're going to operate from. God, I ask that you would show us, each one of us, you say in your word that you restore our soul. And God, the restoration of our soul is where we begin to agree with your word and agree with you and agree with who we are in the spirit. And then our decisions become so easy. And so Father, I ask that you do that work in each one of us. That God, even if we're kicking, screaming, yelling, whatever, even if we're throwing little temper tantrums, God, we still say have your way in our lives. That God, we will be truly conformed to that image that you have for us in your son, Jesus. And we do give you all the glory. God, create in us that passionate love that hastens this process. And so God, cause us to be passionately in love with you where the motivation of our heart is truly to be your servant and to be conformed to your likeness in Jesus' name. Amen.